0: Loaded video, huh? Yeah, so not usually the comedy video this morning. But welcome, welcome, good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Eight. We are on part two of a series titled Enduring Strife, Enduring Strife. We all endure various things day in and day out, every time we go home. We're one phone call away of enduring another hardship. But how do we cope with that? I want to share first, life is one hit after another. We all can agree on that. And my daughter first experienced a little glimpse, a snapshot of how life is of that. We went to the beach a few, uh, a few weeks ago. And this is her first time of her having the guts to go into the ocean. Before, like, she was always half a mile away, you know, playing at the sand next to the uh, resort. Now she's always, now, she's, now she went in. So I'm holding her, where in, in, in the water, and she sees, like, something that's bigger than her coming her way, which is a wave. And she's super stressed. But then, you know, I, you know, carry over and she was fine. But then three and a half seconds later was another wave that just wiped her out. And it was one hit after another. And, you know, it took her a while to, to, to overcome that trauma. But she realized that it's going to be one wave after another, after another. It is nonstop. She experienced that, which is, for us, we understand that's a snapshot of life. life is, it's always going to be one hit after another, after another. But how do we bounce back or respond to that? Something that we like to hold on to regardless if you're all into Christianity or not, we would hear, or we even maybe tell ourselves this. If God is good, things are bound to get better. Things will get better. Things will get better. If God is good, since he is good, things will get better. Things, okay, this stinks. This is pretty low. But you know what? Things will get better. Things will get better. If God is good, things will get better. I hate to burst your bubble within the first 40 seconds. But this... Ideology, this statement is a version of something called the prosperity gospel, in which Kate Bowler, who, who just spoke in, the, in that NBC interview, this she like did extensive research on a, a, a version of Christianity titled Prosperity Gospel. Wouldn't you love it? Wouldn't you love it if I came here and told you with full confidence that what you're struggling with in right now is going to get 100% better. It will go away. If you only donate more, if you only go to church more, if you only XYZ, I promise you, things will get better. Right? Wouldn't you love that warm feeling? You got your coffee, coffee, refreshment and something nice to make you feel good inside. You would love that. I would love to preach that. But this is not the, this is not the centrality and the anchor of who Jesus is. But, but let's take a step back. Prosperity gospel is a version of Christianity that has picked up a lot of steam, rightfully so. I get it. You know, if I'm trying to look for more to life, and I come across a message like that that seems so attractive of how perfect I am, and if I only do X, Y, Z, things will get better. And it, 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 of course, that sounds so appealing. That's so, so attractive. But if we take a step back, the Christian worldview was centered around the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago. He said the exact opposite of prosperity gospel. He said things will get tough. And this is the anchor of Christianity. Like, I love how Kate Bowler's husband said, said, yeah, you know, my wife is going through cancer. But we're not any different than Jesus and the apostles. I love that statement that he made. He's like, they had tons of difficulties. They had tons of days of tremendous uncertainty or depression or just low points, not knowing what was going to happen the next day or how, like, if if they were going to get to their destination safely or if they were ever going to get out of jail. They had days like that where we were just at an extremely low point. And he was saying, why am I any different than the first century Christians? And to us, it's the same question. We're not any different than the first century Christians. They didn't wake up the next day saying, things will get better. Things will get better. Since God is good, things will get better. They didn't hold on to that. They held on to something so much more profound. In Kate Bowler's book, she wrote a nice thing where she said this. There is a little prosperity gospel in all of us. There is a little prosperity gospel in all of us. We want to hold on to something in which we can prosper, right? We all love those verses that just make us feel good. We always love like, oh, if I do this, then God's going to do this. Or we love to hold on to some version of a prosperity gospel. But this, my friends, is not the totality of the message that Jesus came to give humanity. We kind of talked about this question right here uh, last week. Is my faith fastened to a spirituality of things will get better? Like, what strengthens your faith and trust and hope in God is that things will get better, this strengthens our trust, things will get better. And and if if things get better, this strengthens our faith. But if things don't get better, that shatters our faith. Like, this prosperity, any version of prosperity gospel, there is no bedrock, there's no anchor to that because things will shift, things will go south at some point in time. (laughs) Jesus guaranteed, it's not my words. And if you've lived more than two and a half days, you have experienced this yourself. But is our version of faith some deviation of the question, things will get better, or the statement that things will get better. We came to this conclusion on our first part from last week. Faith. Faith is best fastened, fastened to an enduring historical living reality, not future outcomes. Faith, trust into something bigger than ourselves, is best fastened, best anchored to an enduring historical living reality. If you ask Peter... If you ask St. Mark, who ended up going to Egypt to bring the gospel, he wasn't saying, okay, things will get better. Okay, this is really weird with all these pharaonic people around. Things will get better, I'm sure. Things will get better. No, he says, listen, Jesus guaranteed me that things will get rough on my mission, but I'm holding on to the reality that he transcended death, and this changes everything for me. This is what gives me hope. This is what gives me life. Is there tough days ahead? Sure, yeah, because I'm in this temporal world, and it is broken, but what gives me hope My trust, my faith, is fastened to a reality, a historical, living, dynamic reality, which is the person of Jesus. We've been looking at a a, a writing from St. Luke, who was an artist and a physician, if you see in this icon, which is in the Coptic style of, of art, you see in his hand that he has an icon uh, he has an icon of Saint Mary the mother of God and he has a book a manuscript which is his record of of the go- of the, the record of Jesus which is the gospel according to Saint Luke and then a continuation or a part 2 of that volume set which is the the writings of the acts of the apostles which is a collection of the of the journeys of Saint Paul Saint Silas uh, some of the early apostles and some of their struggles ups and downs that he recorded and he, and you can kind of look at his part 1 and part 2 of Saint luke's writing so in his hand he has uh that that feather pen thing what's that thing called Is it, does it have a name the feather pen thing and then the and then the um, pen you, you, so he you see what has in his hand to depict who he was as an artist and as a physician and he did comprehensive research to write down the details of jesus's life and what he experienced St. Luke records in, in the book of Acts, which we're going to look at into further, that him, him and, his, and his companion, they're, they're going around telling people about the reality, the historical, living, dynamic reality of Jesus. And they come across a, a, a lady who keeps on saying, you are messengers of God, you are messengers of God, you are messengers of God. And she's kind of speaking from a different foreign spirit of why she's talking like that. So St. Paul says, okay, you know, chill, spirit, come out of her like that like you know uh, you're annoying us he he literally says you're annoying us this causes an uproar this causes an uproar around town so what do they end up doing they don't want any commotion especially these people who are are trying to like bring a foreign ideology into their town Uh -uh, uh-uh we're not for it so they put them in jail so as they are fastened in jail with chains around their legs and around their hands they're in this difficult circumstance but how do they respond? Because if you look at justice, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. But because people were afraid that they were going to put the city in an uproar and throw things off balance in the city, they ended up putting them in jail. I don't know why this is a good question for us to ask in heaven when our time comes. Why does God love to use dark, difficult situations for light to come out of dark situations? Like, why does... Why does it always have to be that formula? Why does something have to be dark and complicated and painful in order for light to come from it? I don't know, but we see that formula used in the birth of Jesus. We see it in the hardships that came across to Jesus. We see it in the apostles, and we also see it in this scenario. Here they are literally in a dark prison, being fastened to chains and being anchored to the ground unjustly. How do they respond? How do they persevere? Do they just keep on saying, Things will get better, things will get better, things will get better. What gives them hope to move forward? I want to share with you the words of an early Christian by the name of St. John Chrysostom. He was a fourth century bishop. Listen to the words that he says about St. About Paul and Silas, the, the, his travel companion. What did he say about St. Paul and St. Silas as they're both persevering and pushing through this struggle? What does St. John meditate? What's his commentary about what he's reading? That they experienced. Listen to these beautiful words that St. John says. Who is equal to these souls? Who is equal to these souls? He's talking about Paul and Silas. Who's equal to them? After being whipped, they received numerous blows and underwent insults and extreme dangers. While fastened in stocks in the innermost cell, they stayed awake, not wanting to fall asleep. Do you see how great the affliction of the righteous is? we sleep in soft beds without any fear throughout the night. Maybe they stayed awake because they were in this state. What state? State of deep affliction. And they ended up doing something called a vigil in which they prayed all night. And this is a bedrock to ancient Christianity as far as a spiritual practice. And this is practiced daily in the monasteries, in the convents, in our Orthodox faith. Vigils. In order for them to patent, push through passivity, they, they would push themselves to wake up in the middle of the night and to pray. And I know several people who push themselves in through that spiritual exercise in which they'll set an alarm in the middle of the night just to pray a segment to keep them in, in line with God and for them to take their brokenness and their struggle in align with God. And, they, and, and, and we see the spiritual practice through St. Paul and through St. Silas. St. John continues, the tyrant sleep did not catch them. I love how he says, look at, listen to the poetry. Pain did not bend them. Fear did not make them dispirited. But these things spurred them on even more. He calls sleep a tyrant, but not talking about like we fall asleep. No, we need to sleep. Sleep is essential for our health. But he's saying the laziness, the passivity of just kind of just sleeping through life. The tyrant's sleep did not catch them, did not catch pain in, in, in Paul and Silas. Pain did not bend them. Fear did not make them dispirited. But these things empowered them, encouraged them. It was a catalyst for them to go even further. I love that. Pain did not bend them. We continue with what St. Luke ends up writing about the continuation of the story of Paul and Silas. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. This is something true of you and me, at least for me. Stuff like on the news and even in personal relationships with people, I love to see, this sounds cruel, but hear the whole thing out before you judge me. Like when somebody's going through a hard time, Like, I love to see how they're going to respond to the hard time when they're going through a a, a hardship in their marriage or in their family or personally or through a health crisis. I love to see how they respond because this shows their true identity. This shows their perseverance. This shows what they hold on to. And it inspires me so many times when I see them, when I see people that kind of just lost all hope. I'm like, I get it, I mean, but I also am very inspired when I see people saying, you know what, I'm gonna hold on to, yeah, whatever the next x-ray is gonna show, whatever, Like, I'm I'm holding on because my my feet are fastened to something so much bigger than this circumstance that comes and goes. Like, I'm empowered and I'm encouraged. But when you are going through dark times, there are people looking at you. When you are going through tough times, there are people that are looking at you to see how you're gonna respond. To see how you're going to bounce back, how you're going to manage that conflict, how you're going to manage that pain. So, other prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas as they're praying. And they're probably looking at him like, man, you two did nothing wrong and you're here with us, murderers and and thieves, and here you are in prison. What did you do wrong? Other people are watching. I don't know, for those who are into sports, there's um, an ex-NFL quarterback for the Falcons, Michael Vick there was a 30 for 30 documentary about his life. I don't know if anybody watched the documentary about his, about his, like his, his life. Anyway, so he was a big quarterback for the Falcons, but like, he got into dogfighting and some other things and he lost everything. He lost everything as a quarterback. And I ended up watching during the pandemic. I, I ended up watching, the, when we were all at home, I ended up watching uh, the documentary and I love seeing that story. Like, I loved seeing how someone reached a dark point and how did he bounce back? Because the only thing I saw in the news is, when I was younger is that he was a superstar, got in trouble, and then that's it. You never hear of Michael Vick ever again. But I loved seeing the entire narrative of what happened. How did he bounce back? We love to see Tiger Woods, Michael, I'm sorry, I, only sports examples come to mind. But you see people all around you. I mean, forget sports. You see people around you, you see they, they reach a little and how they bounce back. It inspires us. It inspires us. People are looking at you and me when we're going through our hardships. If you realize it or not, people are looking at you and me. How we are going to cope? How are we going to bounce back? What are we holding on to? What is fastening us to the ground or anchoring us as Christians? So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Sometimes we read this stuff and are like, oh, you know, like, you, you know God just like, opened up the prison cells and like, there was like, a, like a, a ray of light coming from heaven. We continue. This is gory. Like This is just the style of writing of St. Luke. This, there's an earthquake. Earthquakes are never like pleasant, okay? At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Again, this was a gory thing that has occurred, okay? It's not like, uh, it's not something elementary. This was something massive that occurred. An entire earthquake occurred and and shook up everything and they were about to escape. And understandably, the jailer, this is his career, he had only one job. He had one job, to watch Paul and Silas. And all of a sudden he sees the, the door of the jail open up so Paul and Silas could easily escape. Let's be real. If you and I were Paul or Silas, and we were in jail, and we know we did nothing wrong, the whole town knows. The other people in the jail know we did nothing wrong. What would you say? What would you, when you're looking at the jailer about to kill himself? If I'm honest with myself, I would say, "Well, comes around, goes around. Hey, you know, I, hey, you you put us in this jail unrightfully. Well, comes around, goes around. Like whatever you reap, you sow. I, I like, we're, we're set free. See, God is with me. God is with. Since God is good." uh, this is why God has allowed me to give back. See, you see, because you did wrong, see what you're going to do to yourself? If we're honest with ourselves, we might say something along those lines. Because we want justice. We want justice. We want what's fair. And this is how we would view it if we were honest. But what does Paul do to respond to the prisoner? What allowed him to extend grace? And we'll look at the dialogue between the prisoner and St. Paul next week. But what allowed St. Paul, like if you go, if you take a step back and look at the personality and the upbringing and and the the hardships that St. Paul had to go through, what allowed him to extend grace to to that prisoner? And be be real, we would be the first one to point at the prisoner and say, hey, you're the one that brought upon yourself, do as you wish. I can't help you with that. We would have done that, definitely. But what made St. Paul extend so much grace to that man? Just to give you a little insight into this extremist, ex murder of, of Christians, those who were Jewish converts to Christianity and how he used to kill them. And listen, what does St. Paul have to say about himself that allowed him to extend grace to the prisoner? He wrote this to a letter to his friend Timothy. This is what St. Paul had to write. This is from another letter that St. Paul wrote. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Talk about boldness, talk about realness, talk about confidence, talk about vulnerability, talk about humility. So I thank God that he hasn't trusted me with the service. I'm, thank- I'm thankful of the, of, of the gifts. And the mission that I have been entrusted with as a man of God. But let's be real. I used to, be, I used to, I, I used to live a dark life. I used to be so ignorant. I used to be so dumb. But I, I, when I experienced the light, and I thank God that I've been appointed with this. I know, some, I know a, a Christian priest. Anytime someone says, oh, thank you for your service, he just says, Timothy 112. That's all he says. 1 Timothy 112. That's all he says. First Timothy 112. That's all he says. They're like, okay, that's a really weird, like super Christian like, response. But he's wanting to push them to, to open their Bible and for them to read. I thank Christ. I've been appointed to this. I've been entrusted with, 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 with this, and I thank God. But don't think for a second. Like I just, like I walk around with a hail around my head and I just elevate, levitate above of the ground. I, I, I have things I'm not proud of, and I still struggle, and I was a blasphemer, and I was ignorant. But I thank God of how God decided to work through my brokenness. I thank God of how God wanted to work through the darkness within me. I thank God of where I am today, of how he's decided to work through me as a vessel. I thank him for that. See the humility and boldness and and transparency for him to share that. It shows his weakness, but it also shows a tremendous amount of strength. Your story, your strife, you trying to endure through it, your story, hinges on how you respond to the pain. St. Paul had every right to tell that jailer, he could have put out a Bible verse and said, whatever you sow, you reap, right? He could have told him something, like, yeah, you're right, and he would have killed himself. He would have easily said that. God is just, so, you know, do your thing. He could have easily said something like that. What allowed him to extend grace is because of the grace that he experienced himself. Your struggle your strife your hardship your story hinges on how you respond to the darkness and people are looking if you realize it or not people are looking at how you handle this is what defines you as a child of god how you respond to it and people are watching Your story hinges on if you're going to determine what is good by your own definition of what is good. Your story of how God wants to work through you and desires to work through you hinges on how you want to define what justice is, that you, for you to determine what good is. Who are you and me to make up what, what defines what's good or bad? It, for those who have kids, when I take something away from my daughter And all hell breaks loose. And this is a yucky day. To her, that's like cussing. This is a yucky day. This is the worst day ever. To her, she's lost everything. She's lost everything. Because that's all you can see. She determines what's good and bad from her optics. That's child to adult. What about child to our father? We determine what's good. We determine what's just. As I mentioned last week, this three-part series is based on my favorite song for this season of the the church calendar year, which is She Came With the Spices. And we'll sing it in a bit. But I want to share two verses from this song that I love. If Peter, follower of Christ, disciple, if Peter lost all hope when our Lord exposed his sin, St. Luke, the author of the gospel, would not record the 3,000 he would win. If Peter lost all hope, when our Lord exposed his sin, like if, if Pete, when, when, when Jesus exposed his sin in his weakness, and if Peter said, you're right, I'm unworthy, I'm nothing, and he lost all hope, if Peter lost all hope, St. Luke would not have done extensive research and ended up recording all the amazing things God did through Peter. If Peter lost all hope when our Lord exposed his sin, St. Luke would not record the 3,000 that St. Peter would eventually have, they would win. The story of Peter hinged on how he bounced back to God. His entire narrative and why he's a legacy and we honor and venerate him today is because his entire story hinges on how he bounced back to Christ. St. Luke would not record the 3,000 he would win. Put your name in this story. If you lost all hope, if you lost all hope through your struggle, maybe God wouldn't want to work through a certain way in your life that's coming. How do you know? How do you know how God wants to work through you? But if you lose all hope, What if your story ends up becoming an extra verse in this song, after our lifetime? Depending on how you bounce back. Next verse. If St. Paul the Apostle considered nothing but his murderous past, would his inspired letters to this generation last? If Paul considered nothing, if he was only stuck on, well, I did this when I was young, and I'm so ashamed, and I'm so guilty of the past, like, I just feel so guilty. I hate looking myself in the mirror because of my past. If that's the only thing he considered... Would his inspired letters to this generation last? Would his manuscripts lasted that he wrote to Corinth, he wrote to Rome, to Thessalonica? Would those letters that he wrote, talking about his boldness and humility and how much God is working, would those letters exist till now? If, If Paul considered nothing, but if he only considered his past, would God have worked on him? If his entire story hinged on how he bounced back to God, of how he endured strife, This is what gives us hope now as we see how they bounce back. And we are not any different. We are not any different. I pray that we look at our hardship and ask ourselves, how am I coping with this? Am I just keep on telling myself things will get better, things will get better, things will get better? Or do I say, you know what? I'm anchored into something so much bigger than that. Regardless of the scenario, I know my life is in the palm of his hand. And he is working all of this for my edification. How? I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I know through this, God is working something through me and in me. Maybe for for generations later, that they'll see how, maybe other people are viewing my hardship, and they'll be inspired in how I persevere. Let this be the lens of how we view my struggle and your struggle. Let's stand together. Let's pray the song together and then we'll close in a prayer
1: she came with the spices to my tomb O Lord knowing not that thou above the earth had sworn she came void of our home came expecting death forgetting the life giver who is the living bread trials and tribulations do we not do the same looking at our errors despairing in our blame how often do we wallow Abandoning all hope, as though on our own with burden we could cope. If Peter lost all hope when our exposed his sin. Luke will not record the three thousand he would win. If Paul considered nothing but his murderous past, would his inspired letters to this generation last? Oh, this life was evil, every sin he didn't come in, but from this desert bended a shining lamp was lit If Mary Egypt's Harlot had not tried to win his grace would she now be in heaven Would she have won the? Raise. Our Lord said an example, Compelled we do the same. Find strife, persevere, And on us will be no blame. If our loving Savior Had not endured all pain, With redemption and salvation Ever be your gain I come now with home to my tomb Lord, knowing God and truth above the earth at soar. I come now with joy, I come expecting life, knowing that through thee. can endure all strife lord we come to you
0: knowing that through you we can endure all strife we know that we are weak we know that we are frail but we also know our strength our boldness our confidence our identity is found only through you overcoming death it is through your direction in which we have life but we are not any different and all the early Christians, with their insecurities and struggles and anxieties, they were anchored to you to persevere. We pray that for ourselves, that we come to you holding on to you as our anchor, as our life, as just circumstances that might come and go. But pray that this strength that fills our heart, fills our our our, our, our family, fills our country, our city we can be anchored in you the pose circumstances Through the prayers of saint paul and saint silas and all the apostles who you, find life in you lord us as we pray thankfully our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thy will be done on give us this day our daily bread we forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us we need
1: deliver us from the evil one in Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine us the kingdom, the power forever.